Welcome to Sharing the Magic, the podcast that takes you on a journey through the enchanting worlds of Disney. Each week, we're joined by a special guest. Whether they're a magician creating moments of astonishment or a Disney expert sharing the secrets behind the magic of the happiest place on earth. Together, we'll uncover the stories, inspirations, and behind-the-scenes tales that bring these worlds to life. So, get ready to be spellbound and transported to a place where dreams come true. Welcome again to another episode of the Sharing the Magic podcast. I am your host, your ghost host, Barry. Today's episode is another good one. We have with us today a man who for nearly 30 years has worked in virtually every aspect of the production of character animation. Most notably, he is a member of a very small group of Walt Disney feature animation, supervising directory anim animators, mentored by the late, great Eric Larson, who was with the renowned Nine Old Men. He has also been instrumental in bringing to life numerous Disney characters on over 18 of the studio's animated features and shorts. Who is he? We'll find out in a moment. But first, let's say hello to our crew. Numerous Disney characters on over 18 of the studio's animated features and shorts. Who is he? We'll find out in a moment. But first, let's say hello to our crew. And we're going to start with everyone's favorite Disney dad, Matt. Matt, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Barry. Really looking forward to uh, talking to our guest. Yes, it's going to be excited. Next up, we have the real Lady Divine, Lindsay. Lindsay, how are you doing tonight? Hey, friends. How's everybody doing? Cannot wait to talk to David tonight. <laughs> All right. Next up uh, is our friend and guest co-host, Jenny. Jenny, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? We are awesome. And last but not <laughs> least, it's the real goofy dupe himself, Whoa. Jeff. Jeff, how are we doing? I'm doing great. So, okay. Um once in a while, when we have David, a special guest, I will bust out my most, I, I, I love, I, I'm a huge Goofy fan. I'm going to, I'm going to introduce you to my Goofy voice. Of course. Oh, here it goes. Today, we welcome our good friend, David. Please land he made her. <laughs> and we hope he feels very welcome as our guest. Wonderful to have you. Wonderful to have you. It's great to be here. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, David, we're so glad you're here. Um, let's go ahead and jump in. Why don't you tell us how you got into Disney animation? Well, it's kind of a mystery to me. <laughs> um, I, it wasn't something I was really shooting for. You know, um, as a kid, I was born in the, in the late 50s. And so uh, as a kid, my pop culture references were, of course, the Disney show on Sunday nights, but also all the Hanna-Barbera shows from that era. So, you know, that was cartoons were everywhere on television at that time. But right. Even at that early age, I knew there was something different between like the Flintstones and Ludwig van Drake. You know, I could tell there was a difference in the quality of the animation and whatnot. And of course, being introduced as a kid, they didn't have a rating system for movies. My parents were pretty um, conservative. And so we were only allowed to go to see Disney films because they could trust that label as being something that you could go to and it, was, it would be pretty benign. And so most of the films I saw early in life uh, were all the Disney films, you know, as, as they come out. I saw Dalmatians when that first came out. I was very young for that. And I saw Sword in the Stone, Babes in Toyland, stuff like that. You know, you know that my dad would take us to see these movies. So. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that that's where I started. You know, learning about the difference between Disney and Hanna Barbera. And so you know, uh, I thought, gosh, I'd really like to do that. Right. And then I've saw, I've said this on other podcasts and things, but um, color TV was coming in at that time, and, and it was the wonderful world of color. So um, as our neighbors would get color TVs, we didn't get one till very late, um, but. They invited us down. It was always an event. You'd go to someone's house to watch something special in color. Mm. And they were airing Alice in Wonderland in color on the Disney channel, uh, on the Disney um, show on Sunday night on, uh, I think it was 1964. Oh. And I was only seven, I think, at the time. But I remember just being blown away by the color and the animation and everything, particularly the um, Golden Afternoon and the uh, Mad Tea Party sequences. And I remember turning to my parents at that time. We were sitting on the floor and they were sitting on the sofa. And I can still remember turning to them and going, that's what I want to do. Mm. And after that, I just started working towards it. You know, now yeah. when I said that's what I want to do, I meant animation. I didn't mean specifically Disney. Right. Uh, like I said, it wasn't really um, it wasn't really something I thought I would ever be good enough to do. Really. I mean, I put him on that high a pedestal. 
Sure. And so, uh, you know, no one was more surprised than I was when I went to Cal Arts and they, they, they pulled us out after our second year, um, a number of us. So, and I think that happened mainly because um, the blues people had left a year before that mm-hmm. and it left a huge gaping hole in their production uh, staff. And also they, you know, Eric, Eric was saying for a long time, you know, we really have to start training younger people. We're not getting any younger. Yeah. So I was very lucky. I, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Um, I thought I'd miss the boat. Um, oh, really? Yeah, uh, we all did. We all thought, you know, well, even Ward said, you know, it's like Walt's dead, you missed it. Oh. Um, he came out to, to visit once at the school at CalArts. But um, we all kind of thought, well, you know, we'll do the best we can. But then who would have known that this renaissance was going to come along? I certainly did. Right, right. Now, we, we sat... During Black Cauldron, we sat thinking they're going to cancel us any second now. <laughs> and uh, thank God for Roy Disney and Eric and, you know, a few other people that just like really stood up for animation and said, no, this is our backbone. Yeah. We need to keep it. And uh, it, they actually championed us and we wow. got to do this great renaissance. Yeah, that's amazing. And um, there's so many questions I have. After you said that, I'm like, Oh, my mind always jumps to the here and the now. And it's uh-huh. like, you know, I miss that animation. I want a new renaissance. I want the days of of animation to come back, you know, and that's 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 me. But I, we can put a pen in that. We don't have to talk about that right now. I did go into teaching after I left the studio. I was retired yeah. for a while and then I went back into teaching because I thought I really need to give back. And, and Eric always liked me and he always talked about you know the importance of education and uh right. even peter schneider who didn't like me um he, he uh he asked me to be his eric larson while i was at the studio and start doing training for younger people uh, um i just always had a knack for it so you know i thought well now's the time to give back so i spent 10 years teaching people not just how to do limited animation because that's really all that's done these days for television but how to think and how to think artistically and how to think in terms of character and the, the, the really important stuff beyond yeah. software that yeah. the old guys taught us. Yeah. So that was very important for me to give that back. And I, I was happy to do that because I think I, I influenced a lot of young lives in that 10 years. That's excellent. I think of, um, okay, so I have my question. So go Hanna-Barbera, Dawes Butler, right? So he was one that championed, it's not voice acting, it's voice acting. It's not voice acting, it's voice acting. So he was huge on the authenticity and the delivery, you you know, of of the voice. You're not just doing, you know, maybe I'm paraphrasing. You're not just doing an impression. You're you're trying to get at something deeper. It's like anybody could do a uh, a Porky Pig impression, but can you sing the national anthem as Porky Pig? You yeah, know, really. so, so like that. that's the difference. <laughs> but, but when it comes to animation and that that same sort of um, ethos, that sort of vibe of, you know, it's one thing to draw a picture, but it's another thing to take a character and to make them so expressive. And I think I'm a comic. I was, I was growing up. I was a comic strip person. And there was a big difference between, you know, I hate to say it in the later years, like, you know, a, a Garfield comic and then somebody like Bill Watterson who drew Calvin and Hobbes, that the facial expressions were so amazing and different and, and, and almost captured like, so in animation, do you think go, going back to your experience and, and all the, the many, many of, of movies and, and, and animation that you've worked on, what would you say was your most, expressive the most like heartfelt you know in, in that sort of way Ex- you know I, I don't know if that makes sense that's probably a bad question i just made it up on the spot but no no it's it's good and i, I can i can uh speak to that um okay. let's go back a little bit further because you know once again eric always taught us you know you you need to know who the character is they're very important things. Animation is a medium of communication. So the first thing you need to know is who the character is, how it fits into the overall film, the scene fits into the overall film. What is the actual thing you're trying to communicate with that scene? Why is the scene in the movie? And how would this character do it in a unique way? Yes, yes, yes. It's like an actor. You, you and, and then I get the layout. 
and I look at the set and I say, okay, are there any props I can use uh, that wouldn't be distracting to the main point of the thing? And that's when the thinking comes in. And that's when the planning comes in. Um, and it gets easier, of course, as you get on with the film. But when you're first starting out, you think, well, who is this character? And what is what are the what are my points of reference? So say a character like Vic, uh, of Hugo, uh, the gargoyle in Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, I usually started with an amalgam of characters mm. and I kept thinking, okay, he's like the big sloppy frat brother that <laughs> is always in your face. And I also saw him a little bit of Jason Alexander, a little yeah. bit of me and a little bit of, well, John Belushi. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and a little bit of uh, the old Dick Van Dyke show, uh, Maury Amsterdam when he played Buddy Sorrell. Oh yeah. No, I, yeah. yeah. He was one of the writers with Rob in, in the office. Um, and I, he always had this, this wild eyes. And so I always made sure that the eyes were pinpointed in the middle. Um, and so he was always like, and if he turned his head, he didn't just turn his head, he'd go, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I was constantly trying to come up with unique, idiosyncratic, idiosyncratic yeah. things yeah. to do with the characters. And that's what actors do. I mean, when we went out on on tour to publicize that movie i was i was going out i went out on the circuit with um who is the guy that did victor's voice i can't remember his name oh um oh he was on murphy charles kimbrough yeah. charles kimbrough yeah okay yes um well we we would we were in a room together i was sitting in one chair he was sitting in another and the press would ask us questions and after we finished a couple of sessions he came over to me and goes, you know, Dave, it's really interesting to see how you approach animation because it's exactly the way we we approach acting. I said, well, yes, it's, yes, it yes. is acting to me. Yeah. You know, it's like, but instead of making the expressions and making the movements, you're drawing them. Yeah. But it, it's all the same mindset. It's just one expresses it in, with their body and one expresses it with drawings. Right. Oh, I'm sorry. I fumbled my way through that question, but you answered it better. Than, I mean, that was exactly what what I was hoping for. I knew and, that's and, what you're going for. <laughs> yeah, you got me. You got me yeah. so well. And I think the reason was when I was a kid, like sketching my comics, I would always keep a little mirror close. And it was because I was really embarrassed of that because my family would come in just see me look in a, a little tiny mirror. But I wanted to emote while I was drawing to see to see my facial expressions of you know, and, and that was getting at something a little bit bigger than just drawing a character. It was exactly everything you just said. You know, it, it's it's um, it is a, a whole other layer of of delivery of who this character is and all those things. So, yeah, I think that interested me more than anything. You know, yeah. I, I, it interests the acting interested me even more than the drawing. I know that seems weird. No, it's but not. It's I, I not. needed to be a good drafts person because of, of course, the people I was surrounded with, which were right. astounding. But also, there's nothing more frustrating than if you have something in here yeah. that you can't get down there on the paper. Yeah. So you know, you really have to know how to draw and how to push things and what. Yeah. So, yeah. and there's a there's a sense of intricacy I think that animators, um, anyone who, you know, cartoonists, whatever artist that you have because you have to draw an eyeball 3000 times you have to draw an eyebrow so so every facial expression and and in some ways i think that makes artists and animators some of the best actors because they know every facial expression probably better than actors do because a lot of times an actor will just emote a certain way but that's but then an animator has to describe the way. How does an eyebrow go down and up? How does yeah. a, a fit, you know, and that is that to me, that is just profound. It's so profound. But to do that well, you actually have to become a method actor in a way. You actually have to become the character. So I remember, the, interesting aside, when I was in elementary school, I was in like fifth or sixth grade. I remember I always drew instead of doing the class assignments and stuff like that. I'd be sitting there drawing. <laughs> and I remember one time I heard laughing over to my right and I looked over and Tommy Barnett, one of the people, I don't know, I, I remember his name. I can see him. He was looking at me and laughing and I said, what's so funny? And he, he said, your eyes, man, your eyes. And I was like, <laughs> and it's because I was feeling that even then I, I was know. feeling what I was drawing more right. than actually even looking at it. I was like actually getting into it. And and that's when I thought, oh, that's really interesting. I was actually making the face. I didn't realize it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I'd be on the couch drawing and my family would come over and kind of do this at me. Like, are you okay? And I was in my little world. Like I, to yeah. me, there, there was nobody around me and I was just feeling all the feel. And I think, I think what's also cool about being an artist or an animator is I think it teaches you a, a deep sense of empathy because you have to really look at a character's face, their eyes, their smile, their, the, the way they emote. And you have to sort of embody those emotions. And I don't draw very much anymore, but, but just as much as I did as a kid, I think it sort of prepared me when I see the faces, somebody else makes that face in real life. I go, Oh, are you okay? <laughs> are you, can yeah. I, you know, it's just kind of one of those, I don't know. It's one of those like uh, kind of superpowers that I think animators and artists have, you know? So I, I'm sorry to, to jump in, but you're yeah, bringing up like this really interesting thing that me and Lindsay were talking about before once, uh, you know, Barry told us that you were coming on the show and we started looking into the work that you did and the animation and that process. And I'm fascinated, and Lindsay is too, about like that actual process of animation. We are not animators. We're not artists. We were talking about that. It's not something that's in our blood that we could do. We'd love to be able to. And I'm fascinated with like the whole process, but Lindsay had like a great question kind of looking at that process and I guess the final product. So I'd love for Lindsay to maybe jump in and then I'll, yeah. I want to kind of go back to that as well. Excellent. Yeah. So before I jump into that, I have a quick question. I see yes. you're wearing a Harley Davidson shirt. Do you ride? No, I do not. My brother does, and he bought this for me years ago. I love it. Well, I love it. My my parents ride Harley Davidson, so I'm like, I gotta ask that question really quick. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I'm not. I'm not really the type, but my brother loves it, and I, I kind of, I keep encouraging him to get a new one, you know, to start again. So, or maybe you gotta get a, maybe you gotta get a bike. Well, I have an electric bike, but it's not the same. It's got the little bell. Loving the shirt. It's, it looks good on you. So I'm going to jump into the question. So are there any of your characters that you created that you saw them on the screen that you would have changed? Yes and no. Um, it, it, they all come from a time in my life. You know, each each character has a little bit of me in it. And so it has a little bit of what I was going through or what I was feeling at that time. So in a way, yes, I would say I could change them now. I, I would I, I might approach it slightly differently. Um, and, and because, you know, we, we, we reflect on what we have in life and I'm older now. So I exactly. have more, more life experience. Uh, but in many ways, I feel like, no. For that time, that was right. You know, mm -hmm. now, okay. we all have our personal best, as you know. And um, I never, I, I liked what I did, but I, never, I, I was never really egotistical about it. I, I kept thinking, I can do more. I can, I have to fool myself. Because all, animators are fooling people into believing that sequential drawings are actually alive. Mm. Yeah. And we know the process. So... It's more difficult for us not to see drawings. Mm -hmm. And around Hunchback, uh, I went and I went to dailies and I and I was seeing characters for the first time. And that okay. was the single most exciting moment of my career because I fooled myself into believing that these were real characters and not sequential drawings. And then I went, I made it. Okay. <laughs> I fooled myself. <laughs> Boy, Hunchback was oh my gosh! I remember. I remember when I, I think I saw it three times in the theater, mm. you know, when it came out and I, the, it wasn't just, the music was certainly one thing, but yeah. the animation and the, I just, you know, at that time, I, I mean, I still am, but it, it, I, Hunchback is still one of my, I mean, it's probably one of my top three favorite Disney movies. It's not your typical Disney film and it gets kind of short shrift it. because it's not the funny characters that people expect. But it's a very powerful film. To me, it's almost uh, operetta. You know, it it's, is. it's much more yes. sophisticated than your average animated feature. And I think that's that probably works against it because people come to expect a certain thing from Disney. And I know. You know, like Mickey, you know, they came to expect a certain thing from Mickey and he became standard. Yeah. You know? 
and it has humor, but it's also beautiful. But here's the word I would describe as haunting. There's a haunting element to it that I think is that plays well with the beauty of it and 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 the and the humor and all that. So to me, yeah. it had the whole thing. But I think I think it was an it's an intense movie, but deeply beautiful and just the yeah. imagery. Oh my god, I could go on, but. Yeah, yeah. It, it's one of my favorites, actually. I, I really like it. But I understand why people might go, I don't know. I don't want my kids to see Hellfire, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I'd be like, I'd be the first, be like I sing that to my son every night kids. before bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's before it locks him up. Up in the bell tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, You can only talk to a bunch of gargoyles. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, David, let me let me ask you. um, You know, the the length of um, time that you worked on different animated movies at the time. So, you mentioned that Hunchback uh, was was one of your favorites. What are some other ones that you you look back and say, "Man, I I did a great job on that one." Well, you know, there's, there's a sense of pride I look back with all of it. And, and part of that is because of where it is in motion picture history. Um, those films are, are timeless. They really are. Um, and I believe they'll outlive all of us. You know, all of the characters and all, all the situations will outlive all of us. Some more popular than others. But, you know, you, we always have our favorites. Like, I really, really enjoyed working on Beauty and the Beast. I, I knew from the moment I saw that film, it was something really, really extraordinarily special. And then when they told me the cast Angela Lansbury to do my character, I'm like, oh, this is amazing. You know, wow. uh, what, a, what a great experience to have that, wow. you know, in my, in my, you know, my, my portfolio. Um, yeah. It was just really amazing. And, you know, I always challenge myself on each film, like on pots, I had to get believability down. You know, yeah. I had to make people believe that this was an actual porcelain teapot that still had fleshy qualities, but you could push it, but not too far. And the drawings had to be extremely solid. Because if anything floated around on that space, it just looked like fake, you know, it, it screamed fake. So I, I, I right. focused on that, on that film. And on Pocahontas, Flit, the hummingbird, you know, I studied hummingbirds. They sent me down to San Diego to sit in a, a big enclosure with hundreds of hummingbirds. Um, and <laughs> wow. I really love hummingbirds. So yeah. I really studied them and I really got to know how they move. And then I tried to create a personality that came out of that movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really fun. And, and once again, when you're starting to animate, you start to get like a, a what is the word I'm looking for? A palette of timing things. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it takes about eight frames to turn ahead and then you got to slow in, slow on both sides. Well, when you have 12 frames to have a character turn their head, react and exit, that shatters your 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 preconception of what timing should be. So on that film, what I what I started doing was doing the most important drawings first. And Tex Avery did studies years ago when he was working on MGM uh-huh. about how many frames it takes for a, a drawing to read to an audience. And he, he came up with five frames. So I knew that if I did three or four drawings, that I had, they had to be not held on the screen that long, but they had to be emulated. They had, they had had You had to go into and out of them, slowing in and slowing out, so that all the drawings around it basically said the same thing even though it was still moving slightly yeah. and so once i do my main storytelling drawings then i'd say okay what well, was the budget okay well now i've only got 12 frames left how do i get from here to here well right. i go I, I have a drawing here and then one where it's slightly moving out on ones then a multiple then one where there's a little dry brush and it cushions in um and that's how i did it you know i had to work backwards it's like okay these are the important drawings and how I get into them is dictated by how many frames I've got left. So it was a really interesting push into okay, you got to break your rules. Yeah. And yeah. you know the old guys they didn't have any rules, so they were breaking right. them all the time. Right. Um, but we had these films to look at, and I went, you know what? I can't. I can't rely on that anymore. Yeah. This is this is an extremely uh, important and difficult assignment, and. Then I'd take that, what I not, the knowledge I learned from that and move that forward into the next film. So my was, animation got snappier. Was there any opposition to that or did they give you the freedom to play within that box? 
Well, that's one thing I will say about Disney. It, it, when it came to artistic expression, I felt like we had tremendous amount of freedom there. Um, some, more so with some directors than with others. You know, some directors knew exactly what they wanted and they'd tell you and you'd do it. And other directors said, you know, let's see what you come up with. So, for instance, on Hunchback Again, I knew Kirk and Gary. I'd worked with them a number of times and Don, and I knew what I could and couldn't get away with, but I always asked. So I went to them once and I said, you know, he, he, it's a line. He says, uh, all right, all right, pour the wine and cut the cheese. And I thought, <laughs> okay, there's an opportunity here. Yeah, I remember that <laughs> so, line. Yes, I went to um, Kirk and Gary. I, I caught them in the, in the in the pod when they were leaving to go to a meeting. And he and Don, those two and Don. And I said, um, I'm working on pour the wine and cut the cheese. May I do armpit farts? And they, they <laughs> oh, yeah, looked, he's like, <laughs> yes, they had this look on their face like, what? And then they both, <laughs> both Kirk and Gary slowly turned to each other, looked at each other quizzically, and then looked back at me and, and Kirk goes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, did. <laughs> I have to admit, I'm a little starstruck right now because I remember pour the wine and cut the cheese. And I, I thought as a, when I was a kid, I, I don't remember how, well, I wasn't that much. Of, I, I was in my, I was probably 10 or 11 or 12. I remember thinking, oh, that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm the man in front of that who's responsible for that is right here right now. So I'm a little starstruck, but that's, that's <laughs> well, you know, that's the kind of creativity we had, though. I mean, you could that's great. Like I said, I would look at the set and go, is there some props I can use? There was a scene where um, the storyboards were just the character talking for like nine, nine feet or something like that, which is several seconds. And yeah. I thought that's going to be that's deadly in animation. You just can't have a talking head. So I thought, well, what can I do? And then I remembered he had been playing with cards in an earlier scene. So I have him do a magic trick while he's talking. Is what are you guys talking about? And while he's saying that, he's doing that thing where musicians palm the cards. You know, they they go, oh, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, there you go. If I know, if I know, if I know Esmeralda, she's he holds up the Queen of Hearts to illustrate her. She's three steps, and he does a flip, three of the diamonds. Ahead of Frollo, holds up the Joker. And, and well, out of harm's way, he palms him in, and, and at harm's way, he shows that he doesn't have the cards anymore. Yeah. So it didn't distract. It actually helped to illustrate the line and the importance of the line. But it was business that was engaging, you know. And once again, getting back to the original question, which is we had a, a, a tremendous amount of freedom. Yeah. So long as we didn't open up the scene and make it longer than it needed to be. And I really respected that because the directors had the timing in mind for the whole film. They had the whole film in their heads. So I didn't want to change that, but whatever I could do within that time frame, they, they seemed pretty cool with. So like for kids wanting to get into being an animator, like what is your advice? Cause my mm -hmm. son loves to draw. He's trying to learn how to draw people. It's his goal in life. And so he was really excited when I told him that I was gonna be on with you. And that was one thing he said is, Ma, you have to find out like what what's some good advice on how to get started so that I could make my dream come true. Oh, I love that. Well, it sounds like he's he is very interested and it sounds to me like he's in going in the right direction. You know, you have to draw a lot. Even if he, he does see generation, in fact, he does that instead of doing his homework. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. He might be hooked. Um, uh, but but you know, you you really have to um even if you're in doing CG, you have to understand how to how to represent um, ex emotions and expressions graphically. So even if you're not actually drawing for the animation, it's important that you understand graphically how you how you quickly express an expression that can be read by audiences and understood. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, um, and and then the next thing I would say is it's not just about drawing; it's about acting. And so he, if he's really serious, he might want to take some acting classes or maybe try to do some some uh, uh, writing or or some uh, some performance stuff in school. I don't know what grade is he in. He's in seventh grade. Oh, okay, yeah, that's a great time. You know, there's lots of of, of shows you can be in and stuff like that. It, that's really helpful. And basically, be and be open and and observant around because so much of what I put in the scenes are things that I, I either do or I've seen other people do or I've seen other actors do. 
that I go, oh, I got to get that in there. You know, I, it's an interesting thing. So I'm constantly, even now, I'm, I mean, I'm worked in a number of years, but um, because I'm retired, but, I, you know, I, I constantly look at things. And when something's interesting, when someone does something interesting or has an interesting affect or quirk, I'm making mental notes of it all the time. And that's very important because that makes your characters relatable to other people. They can go, oh, I've seen that before, you know, so. Yeah. The, those are the three elements that I think are probably the most important thing to make a good animator, no matter what field you go into. Um, you know, no matter which one of the animation principles you do, whether it's stop motion animation or CG animation or traditional animation, even limited animation, you have to know what's important to leave in and what you can get away with outputting in. So that's why the early Hanna-Barbera stuff interested me because they were the guys that did the MGM, Tom and Jerry's and Tex Avery's. And they had done full animation. So when they got to do limited animation, they knew exactly what was needed and exactly what was expendable. And that's why that stuff was really good. Later on, people just went into limited. They didn't understand full and it just became a formula. Uh, but in those early days, there's, there's definitely, you can tell the which animator did which scene because they all have a different approach, a slightly different way of drawing the characters. So a little less finesse, but you know you can see more, so. Yeah. So yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you. I will pass the pass that on to him. <laughs> I hope it helps. So David, I love that you keep talking about how maybe I'm not doing my homework, I'm drawing, or I'm not paying attention in class, I'm doodling. That hits close to home, not because I draw, but because I'm a teacher. Yes. <laughs> and yes. what you were just doing, right, is you're uh -oh, teaching. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Right? So make sure you know. So, uh, and, and you're <laughs> teaching, right? But I'm looking back, you know, into your career when we knew you were coming on, and I see that you go back and forth from being in the animator's chair to teaching others how to be yeah. in the animator chair and then back and forth. So you are doing both, right? You're, you're in the chair, you're living what you're actually teaching later on. And I would love to know, like, how has that transition back and forth kind of affected your career? Did it affect your animation, maybe style when you came back to it after that little hiatus? What's the difference between being in the chair and then preparing other people to be in the chair? That's a good question. Why That's a great question. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, it, one of the things that I found interesting about animation is, you know, you really have to use it. You have to use the animation muscles or you'll, or, or you start to digress. Um, but sometimes it's really good to step away from something rather than laboring it. And you come back with a fresh eye and a newer idea. I mean, my mind was always thinking, you know, maybe not drawing, but thinking about what can I do? What's interesting? And sometimes I'd be in the shower and I'd be like, oh, I know what to do. You know, where's a piece of paper? <laughs> um, or, or I'd be in the car on the way to work. or yeah. home from, And I, it would just come to me, you know? Yeah. And But you have to, one thing I always had pasted on my desk, which was very important to me because I was always a little insecure, was I, I had posted right on the top of the disc. It said, trust the process. And I had to, I, I looked at it. I had to look at it. I was looking right at the disc. So I would constantly be reminded. It's like, okay, it may not come right away. You may stumble. You may have a couple of false starts, mm -hmm. but it's all part of the process. Everything you do that might not be right is taking you a step further to what is. And it helped me through so many difficult times because every, every film was a challenge. Every single film whether it was the art direction or the character or whatever, you know, there's, there's always something that you had to overcome. It basically an animator is a problem solver. How do I fix this? How do I make this work? You know? So. That, you know, that leads kind of into, again, me and Lindsay, were talking a lot about the process of animating and mm -hmm. how you're, you're saying you're a problem solver. And we were talking, and, and I know Jeff will probably like this one because okay. the two, the two things that we always see, when we watch an animated movie is we see the animation and then we hear the voice. Yeah. And Lindsay had a, a good question about how that maybe works. Yeah. So my question was when you were creating the character, did you hear their voice in your head? And if so, how often did it match the final product? Boy, that's another good one. You guys are good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is. We're just like, there yeah, might be a full yeah. moon or something tonight. No, right. not yet. It's not a full moon um, yet. Okay. All right. I, we, we, we would get back in that day, we would get 
audio tapes, cassette tapes, and you'd listen to it over and over and over and over again until you got every nuance, every breath, every inhale, every click of the tongue, everything. And when I'm listening to it, I would look at the exposure sheet where the the, the film editor had written all the all the dialogue down on the side and mm-hmm. timed it out. And I went, this isn't in there. This isn't in there. This isn't in there. So I go back to editorial and I'd say, you know what? I'm hearing stuff on the track that I'm not seeing notated on the X sheet. Could you go back into it and redo it? And they say, sure. Now, everybody was so friendly there and so nice. And, you know, within a couple of hours, I'd get the track back and all of that stuff would be in there. Because sometimes a little click of the tongue or a breath gives you time to give a look, you know, to, 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 you know, it's it's, it's the performance that you're trying to uh, illustrate. So a character, a, a voice like Bob Newhart, he has a very distinctive way of speaking. And he's, he's, got he's got a stutter. He's got a stutter, yeah. And he stammers and he, there's mm-hmm. long pauses like, well, I, oh, oh, uh, uh, yeah, I want to, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Those little pauses were like eight or nine frames sometimes. Yeah. Gave me time to shift the eyes, like he's thinking about what he's going to say or something like that. Oh. And it, it brought more life to the character than just blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it, it, it had a quality. He was one of my favorites to work with his voice. The voice was just amazingly good. I bet. Go go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. Jason Alexander. On the other turn of of the spectrum, Jason Alexander spoke so fast that I could not articulate every single frame or or his mouth would go like a buzzsaw because it was going that fast. So. I did one of the early scenes and it was like that with the buzz on. I go, well, I can't do that. So I had to listen closely and yeah. combined words. So gonna is not gonna, it's gonna. Go- oh yeah. Half of the half of the animation. So yeah. once I once I could do that, then I could slur words together and still get perfect lip sync. He but had to be I've never had to deal with before. Yeah, right? no, he had to be tough. They said Jason Alexander, ideal, idyllic. Is that is that a word? Idyllic mind. Well, anyway, yeah. so the, the thing about him, they said he would just look at a Seinfeld script and he would just go, "Okay, I got it," and it would be word for word, and he was ba 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 ba. Just whatever his he he's a a very smart. Um, yeah. That had to been tough, you know, to that had to be a, a at least at the very least, that had to be a different experience to animate somebody like him. Like, like I said, every film has a different challenge. And that was, that was one of them for me. Now, on the other hand, Charles Kimbrough was very articulate and everything yeah. was so clear, you know. So I would yeah. have very crisp uh, dialogue for him, but Jason, yeah. sloppy. <laughs> and I mean that in a good way. Yeah, I got you. Um, I'll oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Barry. Uh, well, I was gonna say it, it makes. I mean, you can obviously hear it when when they sing a guy like you, yeah. when they sing that song, and then you get Jason doing his part, and then Charles Kimbrough coming in, and then you're sitting there going, "Man, I I was praying that they're they're not singing it together, that they're doing it separate." Because if I if I was Charles, that would blow my mind every time the way Jason handled himself and. Well, you know, I was there at the recording session in New York when they recorded that song. They had the orchestra there, and they had yeah. two recording booths, and Jason and Charles recorded at the same time. Wow. So they did do it, which is oh, unusual. Wow. They, they rarely did that, but in that case, they did. David, do you have anybody else who was one of your favorite? Like, what what are some other unique voice actors that you've worked with or and been sort of... Because you just, it was great how you pitted, like you talked about Bob Newhart and then Jason Alexander, when what extremes that that was. As, you know, in your experience, is there any other voice actors that you've just thought were, was unique or interesting or maybe even difficult or just challenging? I don't know. You know, all those well, they're, they're all challenging. And Styers, David Ogden Styers, I did a character called Harcourt. It was a throwaway character, but I, I didn't have enough to do with Packard. So um, Florence Stanley was great because of a delivery, you know, her, we're all gonna die, you know. And <laughs> the, the challenge with her was, how do I keep her alive? Because she, it, it was really important not to make her move and not have too much expression. She was kind of a one note. Yeah, but that was a challenge in itself because how do I express things, and how do I come up with business that's interesting? So I would have her like smoking. She'd take a drag off the cigarette first, and then 
she'd flick it yeah. off screen and then do her line, you know, or something like, I would always have to like find little things like that to do. And, you know, she was just so world weary, you know, so it's like everything she did was like an effort. <laughs> and I loved that. I loved yeah. that about her because it was very different from the characters I normally did. Yeah. So once again, there's your challenge right there. And then Harcourt was this high energy blustery person. And I just loved that. I loved uh, David Steyer's. He, he did so many voices for us yeah. and um, all of them were unique. You know, Cogsworth was wonderful. Oh, and, yeah. You know, and he would ad lib stuff and, you know, it's just, Aww. you know, uh, they were all great. But, you know, even the ones I didn't work on, like when I look back in history of the Disney films, uh, my favorite film, my favorite classic film is Peter Pan. And just listening to Smee yeah. and Brooke and the different tonal qualities of their voice and how they graphically represented that. Like, yeah. Hook, if you look at him, his mouth is very sharp and staccato, whereas Smee, you can you wear the ever you can see his teeth. Oh, you know, but, but, you know, that's it, a good Smee. Very, you do it, a great Smee. It's hey. always very blubbery, you know? Yeah. So, um, and, and that that's really important in Part of what the animator does is they marry the voice to right. the image. Otherwise, yeah. it sounds like someone talking behind a screen. Yeah, it, you really have to get the tonal qualities, and I did that with Styers. He, he does a scene where he goes, "Yes," <laughs> with these big <laughs> lips, stuff like that. Yeah. I and, bet. And then, then he go, then he go into something where there was lots of teeth because he would he would start out with "Yes," and then you'll, yeah. you know, and that's why it was two in one. So, really I'm, fun. I'm impressed. I, I think you're a great, you probably are a, a way better voice actor than you think you are from being an animator and having to break I, down all the voices, you know? I did voices for the students uh, on their films. Uh, I'd go <laughs> in. Sometimes they'd have me as an as an extra in the film, a character of me. Yeah. But I refused to do me. I would do something else. <laughs> I'd do something with a lateral lift. Or something like that. You know? it, was always, it was always something fun, you know? And it was always, I was always very flattered that they asked me to do things for them. So, David, let me ask. Uh, David Agnes Styers, love him. Yeah. Every time, every, nice hard man time too. Because we always uh, rewatch Mash all the time. Oh yeah. And whenever, whenever he comes on, I'm like, well, it's pretty soon Ratcliffe's going to be coming on or Cogsworth or something yeah, like yeah. that. And it, it's just amazing because you mentioned Jason Alexander. How it's great that you can put a name to a face. Or, you know, you see the face of um, Tarzan, you know who that is, things yeah. like that. So, um, again, they, they brought it up before, but when you're uh, when you're drawing, did you have an actual Hollywood person in mind? You know, say you had uh, Radcliffe, were you thinking, hey, I think so-and-so should do it. So what... Um, for me, it, it it feel more like a tennis match going back and forth. Saying, well, maybe this person. Well, maybe this person. Sort of inspiration for characters. Yeah. 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 No, that's a good. That's a great question, Mary. Right. Well, the, the directors and the producers would generally do the casting. Um, maybe the head of story too, uh, Roger Allers or something like that. But um, sometimes they they didn't work. You know, sometimes they 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 start with somebody and they go like, no, this isn't working. Uh, and they they get they go with somebody else. You'd have to go back in and redo stuff. Um, but they had kind of an idea because sometimes we'd, we'd be called to go in and do scratch track before they actually recorded. If we wanted to get the, the reels up for the executives to see, you know, you just come in and you do an imitation of the person that was going to do the voice. Uh, but then sometimes the person would be so good that they'd say, let's just use them. <laughs> so, you know, I love Fitch um, is um, Chris Sanders. You know, he went in to do the scratch track and he did the voice, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it, 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 and Joe Raft was another great story guy. He'd go in and do voices, you know, and a part of that was, you know, they understood what made a good character and, yeah. and they, they could voice it, you know, that was, it's really great. I love that. So we're, we're talking about all these fantastic films that have maybe a little bit more from the past. I would love to know, you know, it, it can't leave you as an animator to just constantly want to see what's coming and what's next and what's out now. Is there like a, a film that maybe recently has come out that you're like, I would have loved to have worked on something like that or that you just find like being maybe like the next step in animation? 
I thought Klaus was really good. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really had a feel of like the old stuff, but it was is using modern technology. They did do a lot of it on paper, which I think paper, I know everybody's using Cintiqs now, and some people are really good at it. I, mm -hmm. I never really got the hang of it. I just don't like the glassy feel uh, <laughs> on, on the thing. But um, I like the paper and the tooth of the paper and the yeah. softness of the pencil. I actually feel a drawing as opposed to doing lines. Yeah. And um, But... That's me. That's my my technique. And I, I certainly don't think mine's the only way of doing things. We all have different ways of approaching stuff. But uh, I, I think that Klaus was one I would say that I, I, I kind of wish that I had done, uh, had worked on. I, thought, I think that would have been really fun. Going back a little bit, though, it's not a contemporary film, but it's fairly more recent. I really loved Iron Giant. Oh, and I really, I really would have liked to have worked on that. You know, but That's a great we were movie. kind of under contract at Disney, so we really couldn't yeah, do right. stuff like that. But, you know, we were so lucky to be working at Disney because it was like just the cattle. You know, yeah. so everything we did, right. we knew was going to be seen, was going right. to be promoted, you know, and it was going to be the, the highest quality that our generation could do. And that was a great luxury, but also a, a very big challenge, you know, because we had big shoes to fill with yeah. those old Right. Yeah, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Was there ever a character while you were there that you pushed for? Like you were like, I want to do this one. Like, I don't really know how the process works. Like, are you just assigned somebody or do you get to say, like, I would love to work on Pumbaa or Chip or Flit? Like, how does that work? Well, most of the time you get off a film, you take a couple of weeks off and then the directors of the newest films would kind of vie for who's going to get the supervising animators they want. So they would take you out to lunch and talk to you about the film and, you know, say who they were thinking of you for. Okay. Um, but they were always open, you know, if, yeah. if you want to do something else. We also, um, by the time we started doing more than one film at once, um, we had more opportunities to kind of express wh which way we wanted to go. So when Lion King was in the works, it was not what it became later. It was in the early stages. It was called King of the Jungle or something like that. Oh, yeah. Uh, different directors, no songs, you know. I and Pocahontas was also in development. And I really loved the development work on Pocahontas. It, was, it mm -hmm. didn't become what the film was the development was. But some of Mike Gabriel's artwork on that and, and, and Mike Giamo's uh, artwork on that was mm -hmm. so compelling and so interesting that I thought, that is where I want to go. So yeah. I was I was offered the characters of not only Pumbaa, but Pumbaa and Timon oh, early wow. on on Lion King. Wow. And I turned it wow. down, you know? Oh. And, you know, no problem with that because yeah. you know, it was, I was I was I was interested in this. Right. Um but then Lion King became something else. And you know, to, uh, Tony and, and Mike just did a superb job on those characters. So for sure. Could I, you know, I couldn't be any happier. And I did get to go back and work on some of those scenes with them. Right. They yeah. needed some help getting some footage out. So I'd go back in and do some stuff. Oh, that's um, so I got the fun of it, but I didn't have the responsibility. Oh, right. no, I, I, I have to ask you, David. So, you know, you kind of, you're saying you're getting offered Timon and Pumbaa. And then you mm -hmm. get to go back and, and, and help with that. But did you, when they offered that to you originally, do you like instantly, does it pop in your head like an initial image of what a character might look if they, just give you that very quick, this is what the movie is about, this is the character, does that image kind of pop in your head? And if it did, how different or similar was your initial image of Timon and Pumbaa to what eventually came out? That's a good question. I, you know, I didn't give it that much thought at that time. I, okay. I, I pretty much decided pretty pretty much instantly that I wanted to work on Pocahontas. So okay. I, I didn't spend a lot of time on it. Uh, but, yeah. you know, there was development work done after that. It was very early in the production. Right. I mean, I don't even know what, what kind of roles they had at that time. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, some some films, you know, the characters were not necessarily going to be in the film, you know? Uh, Pocahontas was very different. They had a turkey and they that was gonna be yeah. voiced by Don Knotts and then John Candy and, you know, oh, okay. you know and, and all I the animals that. talked. But then Jeffrey came down with the edict that um, there's not gonna be that many animal characters and they're not gonna talk. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So we had to go and figure out pantomime you know, mm -hmm. to express things, which is very difficult. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Flit uh, was, you know, I, there were some drawings that Joe Grant had done that I had and a few other people, but basically the design wasn't there because they really didn't have the art direction quite quite done yet. So I just, I had to sell the character. So, you know, it would be like we had to do experimental scenes where we'd come up with a, a situation, we'd record the voices um, or have somebody record them for us and then we would create a layout and then 
start working on how the animator might, how the character might move or act. Um, right. And originally, I think Flip was going to be like a spy. Okay. And so, you know, but then he became sort of, he, he became sort of one of Pocahontas's two um, consciences, like, yeah. you know, Miko and Flit were like yeah. the devil and the, and the angel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so I had to do several scenes with Flit and I had to figure out how, what do the wings look like? And, you know, mm. how does this work? You know, and, and how, where, how am I going to get that timing like that? So they and we had a lot of ramp up time at Disney, so we got to do a lot of stuff. So and then I would go in and we'd sit with Jeffrey and, and they'd show him the scenes and he'd say, "Yeah, yeah, I like this. Let's go with this." He turned to me and he goes, "Yeah, let's. We want Flint." And I'm like, okay, because <laughs> otherwise, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're back on shorts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so I've been holding this question back a little bit. I mean, over the years, animation has changed, I feel, so drastically and crazily. And and I wonder if you had a magic lamp and you had two wishes, you're like, for me, I could tell you right now, just being transparent, I miss animation. Oh, I miss, I miss hand-drawn. Oh, my heart hurts. It hurts. And uh, A lot of people do, but but the average person doesn't doesn't even know anymore you know really right. the younger kids they, they don't even see it yeah but, uh, but you know if i had if i had my little wish if i had my little Latin yeah, stamp, uh, i would wish for them to go back to paper uh, i think it's yeah. uh, there's there's too much opportunity to take shortcuts and, and to draw partials yeah. on digital and i can see the animation being stiffer and not as good uh-huh. I take that back. No, there's there's tons of talent out there. I knew it from when oh, I was teaching. Absolutely, I'd see I'd yeah. see people that were amazing, yeah. but the technology and the pipeline has taken a much more important role than it should have. Now, bear in mind when I started in 19, 1981 at the studio, we were still shooting. We we didn't have video. We had to flip the scenes to to get the timing and whatnot, and then we would send those out to camera and they'd shoot it on 35 millimeter film black and white and about three days later you'd get a loop of 35 right. millimeter film back that you'd then put on a moviola and look at it over and over again right. and make your notes on changes and corrections so it wasn't it wasn't as intuitive as it got yeah. later so many right. of the technology things that came in made it much easier to be, be better faster mm-hmm. um, and so i really i really think that was really important but there comes a time where the technology becomes so important that it's the tail wagging the dog. Yeah. And it should be about the characters and the story and what serves that story best. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's become a sameness in in what I see now. I Once again, I, I don't I think that the people that are making the films um, aren't capable For sure. of just what we were doing. And absolutely, it's not... They're not really given the opportunity. Right. Um, there's a right. there's a, a sameness and a um, right, but a formulaic approach to acting where it's like, oh, the character's upset, move in close and have their eyes shifting really quickly. You know, yes. it's like it's a technique, and it's not you can't the really same. tell who did what. And I remember going to dailies, and you could you could see even if you didn't have the slate, you know, oh, that's a Mark Henn scene, that's a Glenn Keane scene, that's a Dave Christmas scene, that's a Will mm-hmm. scene, you know, uh, whoever's scene. You yeah. could tell because part of the person was in those drawings. Yes. yes and yes. it was very raw, very raw. Yeah. And it's it's a little too slick now for me, I think. It and is. Again, I don't mean to be denigrating to people. No, and we're, we're, we're being I diagnostic. Yeah. We're not being negative. And, right. And, but, but, and, it, but it is, it's not the same. It's, it's really not. not. No. And people who don't know that, that what we knew, probably can't tell. Right. But we can. And. I'm sure that the old guys, when they saw our stuff, were going. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, but I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna wave my magic. I'm gonna look deep in the crystal ball right now, and I'm gonna say one thing that I think might happen. I wonder if somewhere down the line, five, ten, whatever years, there will be a big mass sort of not exodus, but a a a re-embracing of the organicness of of animation and i wonder if at some point 
maybe I'm just maybe it's wishful thinking, but I wonder if if, if it's at some way, maybe it will still inc- like maybe it won't be pat like a pencil on paper, but maybe there there will be this sort of shift back to yeah. the heart of animation. No, yes, yes, I, I would agree with you on that. Um, and, and I'm not really sure at this point if that will happen, because quite frankly, um, we were all taught by the nine old men. And there's a lot of people now that were, weren't taught by anybody. They just learned from watching other movies. So, right. you know, everything kind of perpetuates itself. You know, this perpetuates that, perpetuates yeah. that. And um, animation has kind of taken a short shrift to story and, mm-hmm. and, and voices. And right. I, I feel bad about that because, you know, I always thought that the voices were really secondary in the in the classic stuff. Saying, sure. You know, I, I, understood, yeah. I mean, certainly Ed Wynn was a great voice for the Mad Hatter, uh, one of my favorites uh, because of his delivery and because of his, his spontaneity. But it's hard for me to imagine anything but the Mad Hatter, even when I see Ed Wynn in a movie, you know, I mean, yeah. Mad Hatter. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll hope for the best. I mean, we'll be positive and say. But the animation was every bit as strong as the voice acting. Yeah, you know, every bit. Every so, bit. Yeah. But now it now it's like, oh well, just make it move. You know, just make I the know. mouth move to. to well, and I'm movies. I'm wondering, Jeff, like if that. it's gonna be or and, and David, you you know, it, it, this is your field of expertise. I feel like, and I might just be totally wrong, but I, I feel like I've seen a, a few more films, animated films, where they're maybe using a mixture of that hand-drawn animation and the CGI. So like the, the Spider-Verse movies, the new, I don't know if you've seen them. Um, And there's the new one from, from you keep saying wish, isn't that the name of the new Disney movie called wish where the, the background seems more animated and the people are more CGI. So yeah, yeah, it looks like the background is more drawn. And then the, the people like the characters are CGI animated on top of it. I don't know right. how that works, but I'm thinking maybe if we can't get back to that full blown, maybe we will see some of that mixture. I think what you're talking about is that hand drawn, hand done stuff, that that artistry. Right. It's it's a little less slick. I think that's what charmed me about the old animated films is that you kind of knew how they made them and, and what they were, but they still were just absolutely right. amazing, and you absolutely believed it. Yeah. But, you know, but but. I don't know if that that will come back. I, I, it, yeah. Everything's so slick now, you know. I know it's really hard to say. But there might be a counterculture to that. There might be something where people band animators maybe and band together and say, and say they say, hey, you know, let's let's get together and 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 do things differently. And well, Klaus certainly was a step in the right direction. I think you know yes. using the technology in the right ways. Yeah. Um, I, so if, if I were to say that were going to happen, I would say it, I would not look to the studios mm, to make right. that happen. Studios are not doing so well. They're uh, not. They're not. Great yeah. independent films that are being made. Yeah, are quite yeah. interesting to me. Right. So it's a scary world we live in nowadays, my friends. <laughs> in that way, very much so. It's sort it's of no place for old cartoons. It's the Wild West. <laughs> well, it's the Wild West. It's turning yes. back into this Wild West of of media and 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 one hand, I think it's exciting. On one hand, it's like, oh, it's it's. I mourn. I mourn hard. You know, I <laughs> well, just there's, do, there's but... more opportunities for young people now yeah. than there have ever been. Certainly, yeah. when I was starting out, you went to Hanna Barbera, Disney, or Filmation. Right. That was kind of it. If you yeah. wanted full time employment, and right. then you know, there were a number of small commercial studios throughout Hollywood. You know, and uh, quartet films, and you know, a lot of these films that had been there since the fifties. Yeah. Oh, but they still had the same staff there at, right. in the early eighties that they had in the fifties, and they weren't looking to hire anybody new. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Or you even go, you know, Jenny, your 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 son. It's yeah. like, what does it look like for the future of animators? Well, maybe, maybe animators one day will just be, you know, I'm, I can do it from home. I can make my yeah. own things. And yeah. they put out something that is, you know, and that's exciting because it's like, I wanted to be a syndicated cartoonist, but I mm-hmm. knew as a, as a 10 year old kid, I was looking up King features, you know, uh, all the probably 10 different and I knew early on, oh, goodness, a uh, uh, syndicated cartoonist got rejected probably 200 times before they ever got. But that's not the world. Now you can just put your content out there. 
you know? Yeah, and, yeah. and that's another great opportunity, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, so if you want to, so I think that's exciting. I think, I think, you know, some of the things we miss in animation, at least, well, I say we, but me, me personally. I do too. I, I miss original type of animation. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I make sure you. that we show my kids that all the time. Like yeah. my son, of course, he loves Toy Story and he loves Wally and and things like that. Of course, yeah, he, right. But yeah. he will also sit there and put Robin Hood on, and he'll sit uh, there and he'll put yeah. Hundred and One Dalmatians. I can't tell you how many times he watched Hundred and One Dalmatians because he loves dogs. Anything with a dog, he'll watch a million times. Yeah. It's a great. Film. He loves it all. I don't think. See, and that's the thing that surprises me because seeing it with my own sons, it still enthralls them. It still is attractive to them. It makes them want to watch it so for yeah. a studio to be like uh eh, it's not as slick or it's not as good or it's not going to be as popular yeah. like i don't know because i know kids still like it i could still oh, show yeah. I'm, a, I'm a high school teacher and i could show an animated film in a high school class and they'll go oh yeah we're, we're watching yeah. aladdin or we're watching hercules or we're watching you know mm-hmm. of so course the always, classics yeah it's yeah so that's part of the charm is that 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 hand handmade quality yeah yeah. The craftsmanship, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. David, do you have any? Uh, I, I mean, anything else? Nah. Here's what I think. Here's what I think now. You know, I'm I'm 66 years old now. Uh, I'm still really relatively healthy. I still am young at heart. And I look back on those times. You know, it's a long time ago now uh, that we made those films. Um, yeah. It doesn't seem like that to me. It seems like just yesterday. I can remember everything perfectly. But it, it was a long time ago. And yet I look back on those times very fondly. Yeah. Was my life perfect? No. Mm-hmm. Was I where I wanted to be? Yes, I was. I was. I, I, I could never have felt more blessed and more excited to be yeah. surrounded by all of that talent. Because oh. everybody that was there was like top notch, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and we all worked together to make yeah. these things work, you know, and yeah. I wouldn't have trade that for anything. I mean, that, no. to, to me, that was the most wonderful opportunity I could have imagined. Yeah. Um, and who I, I never, ever would have thought that would have been possible for no. me or for anybody, you know? Right. So I, I have to say, I feel like I was born under a lucky star because I really got yeah. to, I, I'm one of the few people that got to do and, and earn a decent living doing something I really loved. Yeah. Yeah. And David, yeah. I know you say that you're semi semi retired. I saw on your on your website. What are what are you doing lately? You still animating things? You still is that still something that you have to do like often to meet your know, you know your there's love not of a it? lot of opportunity to do the kind of quality that we like to do, not even commercials right. anymore. Yeah. Um so I really don't do a lot of stuff. Um I've been kind of when we were working on those films, it was very difficult for family life because I don't even know how people had families because mm-hmm you were really at the studio a lot. And during yeah. crunch times, you were there like every day, 12 hours a day, right. you know? And and it was very difficult to keep relationships working. My own relationship, my own marriage fell apart at that time. And that was very heartbreaking for me. But I, I was so dedicated to it that I was always, always giving everything to the studio. And since I left it, I learned that there is life after Disney and there is um, there is time to to be good to yourself and to, to think of yourself and to do things that are healthy for you. So now I read a lot. I write a lot. I watch a lot of films. Uh, I walk, I ride my bike. I work in the garden. You know, mm-hmm. my life is anything but stale and stagnant. It, it's like busier now than ever, but it's stuff <laughs> I, want, I want to do. And I finally feel like I, I, I waited long enough in life that I'm to a point where I can actually do what I want. Mm. And that to me is what retirement really should be. But then every once in a while, I get to talk about what I love with people like you guys who are, who are like-minded. Yeah. And it's a wonderful opportunity to do that. So when everybody asked me to do a podcast, I said, of course, you know, yeah. uh, sometimes I have to tell the same stories over and over and I try to come up with a new spin on it. But, you <laughs> yeah. are, but, but then I get you guys that do really great, compelling questions. That I'm like, ooh, wow. <laughs> we well, try. Yeah, we like the conversation one. to be somewhat fresh for you. <laughs> yeah, we have These are questions that we want to know, right? We've yeah, no, we're not going to lie. When we get our our ho- our guest who's going to be on, we all do our deep dives and we start looking into maybe more. Like we knew who, who you were. Some of us definitely knew who you were and the work you did. But then we deep dive and we're like, okay, and we'll listen to interviews and we'll we'll listen to what else you've put out there. And from that, we'll get, well, what what about this? And it's questions we want to know, too. So hearing you say that means a lot to us. Yeah. And we appreciate that. 
But mm-hmm. yeah, and so I mean, I probably have another twenty questions written down yeah. just from hearing what you were saying. <laughs> yeah, we'll have so, you back have, if you don't mind. Have me back again. I yes, guess. that's yeah. what we'll do. Guys, anytime. So no, hey, I really enjoyed a, it. Yeah, you've been a wonderful guest. You, yeah, you, thank you. Just it's been a, a what a pleasure. Just yeah. wonderful, wonderful. It's uh, nothing for me to talk about something I love. I yeah. really do. <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much, and thanks again for having me. I really enjoyed it. Oh, it was awesome a pleasure. Day. Yeah, thank okay. you. Or it's a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> okay. That always, well, I, I always love that. <laughs> oh, have a good night. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. Talk to you later, David. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. We want to thank all of you for tuning in to another episode of Sharing the Magic. As always, please hit that follow button to stay up to date on the latest episodes and tell your friends to tune in wherever they listen to awesome podcasts like this one. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Sharing the Magic Pod. Until next time, keep sharing the magic.